0: It's 10.30. We're ready to start the, the uh, morning session or the Friday session here in the main room. Uh, we have three presentations uh, in the next hour and a half. And our first one is Chris Gavaler and Nathaniel Goldberg and their uh, their work on uh, Tolkien's Crossing of Rich Visionary Boundaries. Chris and Nathaniel are teachers at uh, Washington and Lee University in Lexington, Virginia. Uh, Chris is a philosopher, and Nathaniel is, a, is an, an Englisher. <laughs> uh, other direction. Uh, yeah. Other way? Uh, I got it. I'm sorry. So one of them is a philosopher and one of them is in English. Uh, so we'll uh, see there. Uh, uh, Let's welcome uh, Chris and
1: Nathaniel to uh, Mythboot. Should we use this? Good morning, everyone. No, okay. Let's try it again. Good morning, everyone. Here we go. So uh, we're going to give a um, a presentation about uh, revision. Uh, This is a talk that's going to focus on philosophy of revision, which means it's going to be a a subfield. There's going to be some terms that might be new to you, but I know after the first um, uh, talk we heard this morning, I've no doubt that this is going to be actually uh, comparatively simple. All
0: right, Uh, welcome. So we're going to start. We're going to start by introducing a couple of technical terms, maybe you've heard of them, maybe you haven't, but just to facilitate our discussion. Let's call a discourse any published manuscript. And by contrast, let's call a diegesis a story constituted by a discourse when read. The difference being that different people can read the same discourse or book or manuscript and imagine entirely different worlds or different things about it we'll call what they imagine or the mental picture they develop or the story that they construct the diegesis. The discourse is the physical thing in front of them.
1: So just to clarify a little bit uh, further, when you see words on paper, that's just ink. Ink on paper, it doesn't mean anything until you read it. So the ink on paper is just discourse, when you give it meaning by reading it, you create the diegesis. So that's the reader doing that with the words. And I, let me real quick...
0: Alright, so we're going to look at uh, three discourses that turn out to be multiple diegeses, and these should all be familiar. First is the first edition of The Hobbit. Second is the second edition of The Hobbit. And we're ending at that point, Uh, I know there are several further ones, but life is short and so is this talk. (laughs) The third is uh, The Lord of the Rings, and our point is going to be three separate physical objects, ink on paper, or pixels on the screen, but as it turns out, multiple different stories depending upon how they're read in relation to one another.
1: So the term reboot, raise your hand if you're familiar with this term. Okay, I thought as much. Um, part of what we're doing here, Nathaniel and I, is taking common terms, and of course we've got reboot here, retcon, you'll look at a moment, and sequel, we'll see in a couple minutes after that. These are common terms, but as we explored this, we discovered that despite their commonness, actually trying to define them is weirdly difficult because when you get out there, there's all this overlap, use and I guess you can say misuse, but since there's not a standard definition for any of these terms, none of them being misused. It's just like chaos. So a lot of what we're doing right here is just trying to give exact definitions to these terms and we're using um, Tolkien because he does them all beautifully. So he's our he's our sample here. So origin of the term comes from 1970s rebooting a computer. In our uh, first example, uh, uh, reading the 1951 edition of The Hobbit as rebooting the 1937 edition.
0: Right, assuming you've read only these two works, we're going to argue one natural way to read the second edition is as rebooting the first. And here, because I'm the, the nitty gritty philosopher, here's what we think people mean by rebooting. All right, sorry. Here's a quote to show the reboot, and then you think people mean. <laughs> uh, Alan, will you read that quote out loud? You've got a big booming voice. Well, we'll see if it's still booming. <laughs> Bilbo need not have been alarmed. For one thing, Gollum had learned long, long ago was never, never to cheat at the riddle game. Here's the passage he whispered. Bilbo slipped under the arch and said goodbye.
1: And just to be clear, Nat, a lot happens in that. Um, yeah. There's lots of big ellipses <laughs> right there.
0: But the key is. Well, next passage, please. All right. In 1951, Bilbo felt he could not trust this slimy thing to keep any promise. Gollum grabbed as the hobbit flew over him. But too late, Bilbo sped off. There came a blood-curdling shriek filled with hatred and despair. So using that as our example, um, we're going to give you a technical definition of what we think is going on. (laughs) A A reboot is a revision that a rebooting diegesis causes a rebooted one to undergo, where, and I'll talk through the example, this is a bit technical, but here we go, the earlier one, the 1937 edition, we'll call the rebooted one. The later one, the rebooting one. Here's the claim we're making. Forget Lord of the Rings, you're just reading these two books. Each of them is describing different characters, different events, different adventures, who of course have the same name, have an awful lot in common, but really if you're just presented with these two books, You can't reconcile them as both being true at the same time, bracketing the Lord of the Rings stuff. So it seems as if they're describing different worlds or diegetic worlds or different diegeses. But there's a special relationship between them, namely the the later 1951 edition of The Hobbit, the second edition awfully seems like it's similar, it's alluding to things that happened in the earlier edition, and readers who read both will get the sense that many of those experiences or details in the earlier edition sorry, in the later edition have already occurred, even though technically they are describing different people events in a different world. So there is an illusion, but not, a, but not a relation of identity. And one way to test this is, at least my intuition is, because the worlds are different, characters in those worlds can't interact with one another. Bilbo in 1937, who has no reason to fear Gollum, guess what, has no reason to fear him. So he can not talk to that Gollum who's slimy and who wants to eat him. They're in different worlds, and likewise the, the Bilbo who's jumping over Gollum at the end of 1951 is not the Bilbo who's helped out, you know, out of the cave by Gollum in 37. They're different characters. They don't interact with each other. Okay, so that
1: was reboot, now we're looking at retcon. Now this is slightly less familiar word, raise your hand if you know retcon. Okay. Okay to guess that, Uh, good. Um, Short for retroactive continuity, um, it's actually a term that originated from biblical scholarship around 1970, uh, used much more in comics for a variety of, um, I won't go into those details, uh, but retroactive continuity, and our example again, going back to Lord of the Rings, um, or rather, the Lord of the Rings as a retconning of the 1937 edition of The Hobbit, not the 1954, but the 1937.
0: Uh, right. So, not to repeat the quote, but remember what what Alan said before. And can I pick on you Guy? Sure. Do one more. All right, one more. <laughs> this account, Bilbo set down in his memoirs, and he seems never to have altered it himself. But many copies contain the true account as an alternative, derived no doubt from notes by Frodo and Samwise, both of whom both of whom learned the truth, though they seem to have been unwilling to delete anything actually written by the old Hobbit.
1: And so the truth in this case is the second edition that replaced the first edition. But of course Tolkien knew that the 1930 copies of the first edition continued to exist. He very much would have liked to have eliminated them if he could have. He physically could not do that. And so having rebooted, he then decided, I'm now going to retcon and find a way to bring 1937 into this same world. So it had been a separate world. That was his first move. And now he's bringing it into the same world.
0: Right, and given the same, uh, our same attempt at coming up with uh, criteria, let's call a retcon any revision, where a retconning diegesis causes a retcon one to undergo things in the following way. First, we'll again call the earlier one, the one published earlier, the retconned diegesis. The second one, the retconning. This time, however, they're referring to the same world. When we learn in Lord of the Rings that Bilbo lied about what happened when he met Gollum, that's the same Bilbo uh, from 1937, whom Gandalf then later says lied. It's not a different one. Suddenly, we're in the same diegesis, the same worldscape. But what we're doing is we're making it retroactively continuous, where the word "retcon" comes from, by reinterpreting the earlier events. And because we're reinterpreting the earlier events, the reader will read those earlier events not as having, you know, an elusive relationship, but actually having occurred, but had been, but having been incorrectly presented. So retcon shows that something that happened before was wrong. Not different world, but incorrectly presented in the same world. And therefore characters in the retcon and retconning diegeses of world can be aware of one another. In fact, that's the whole point of the retcon. So that they know that what had happened before was uh, in need of reinterpretation because we're all playing with the same tools, we're all characters in the same reality.
1: And if I could just expand on this, number three is particularly important because this is this is a point that we went over a lot, Nathaniel and I, because a prequel is retroactively continuous, but a prequel does not reinterpret. So the key here is that something looked find out after the fact, it's revealed, of course it's newly invented, but it's revealed that it was always this way, but we just didn't have enough context to understand what was really going on. That's retroactive. A prequel just fills in details, but doesn't reinterpret anything. And this was like one of the trickiest things we had to figure out when trying to figure out how these terms work, because retcon, by its word, should simply be anything that's retroactively continuous. That's not actually what's going on, it's it's much more specific, it has to be a reinterpretation.
0: Right, and if I may, so we originally wanted to call them sequels, and I think Chris called them that a minute ago, but then we realized that prequels also often function as just a continuation, merely one earlier in time, sequels after a time. Perhaps you know there are these things called interquels, books that are within a timeline. So we tried to come up with a general word for anything that expands a story, either earlier, in the middle, or after, and we came up with expansion. That's the origin of the term. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the example we're looking at, of course, is uh, reading *The Lord of the Rings* as expanding the 1951 edition of *The Hobbit*, specifically the 1951, not the 1937, though, because that's been kind in already.
0: Right. So perhaps I'll spare. Uh, this time. <laughs> Sean, do you want to read this one? <laughs> <we go>. Sure. <laughs> Say no more. It is plain enough what you are pointing at. Bilbo the silly hobbit started this affair and Bilbo had better finish it for himself. Right. So Bilbo says this during the Council of Elrond, and we use this as a quote to show that it's the same story as the 1951 Bilbo. Bilbo finds the ring in that early in that in the Hobbit, and then he winds up in Rivendell and he volunteers to bring the ring to the to Mount Doom and have it destroyed. It's a continuation of the story, of course. Bilbo's not the one who does it, but it's the same characters, same object. And same history that unfolds. Okay, and once again, here's our attempt at trying to make that precise. As before, we'll call the earlier discourse, in this case the second edition of the Hobbit, the one that's expanded, the Lord of the Rings is the one that's expanding it. This time, again, they're referring to the same world. Except, unlike before, there's no reinterpretation, nothing is shown to have been incorrect. Instead, it's really shown to have been incomplete. The Hobbit, 1951, tells part of the story of the ring, its finding, doesn't tell the complete story, its destruction. And therefore, characters can be aware of each other in both parts of the story because they're the same characters, the same objects, just a continuation of the events. Alright, so we started off by saying three discourses, multiple diegeses. Here's what they are. By our count, that first edition of The Hobbit is a rebooted, Diegesis
1: and a retcon diegesis. The 1951 edition is rebooting and expanded, and of course, Lord of the Rings is both retconning and expanding. So, again, if you call when we began, we talked about a discourse simply being ink on paper. It's the reader interacting with the ink on paper, creating the diegesis that create, well, all of these. And here we have all three diagrammed uh, together. Uh, Tolkien is doing amazingly, all of these. And he's one of the few authors that actually, I mean, that's why we chose him. Uh, few You know—you can find examples of reboots, you can find many examples of expansions, you can find examples of retcons, but this, we were so pleased to see all three happening with the same author with the same text.
0: So, j- so just in conclusion, um, we'll tell you why we found this interesting and what we hope to do. Uh, so Chris and I are academics in different departments, and we were hoping to, in fact we have a, a draft of a book called that, and in that book, this is part of chapter one, we're hoping to use Tolkien as an exemplar of different ways the texts can be revised. And if we're right, and you know that remains to be seen, but if we're right, these sort of revisionary patterns, rebooting, retconning, expanding, occur all over the literature, not just in fiction, but also in science, in history, in religion. Different texts can be seen as being read, as standing in these different relations. Towards one another. Final words? Um, We would love to. Yeah, thank you, everybody.
1: only if prose works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that just made our lives simpler because it's such a complicated question. Before we limited ourselves that way, I think we more or less agreed, though we were still debating, those are reboots yeah, because the reboots. there's no way they can't be because if there are details that are different, and inevitably there are going to be details that are different, it has to be a reboot. Um, there's sort of no way around that. Um, I don't know, I mean, you can have a simpl- many movies and adaptations of simplifications, Simplifications? Or simplifications, as opposed to expanding. I mean, they expand visually, but they tend to simplify in the story or the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, so they story. focus on one thread or they focus on fewer. And so, you know, you're dropping details. And you know, I think the, the stories may still be consistent and they could be live in both worlds,
0: If you're saying, you know, but, you know, as opposed to people, really, as you have a different story. I mean, a lot of adaptations yeah. are the stories end up being different, but, you know, again, I think it's about a degree as opposed to...
1: Yeah, this is the path we went down yeah. trying to figure out, because, so like, you take any work of literature, and that anything that's in words, and you change medium, um, so that change, even, yeah. we were even just looking at illustrations, like, illustrated versions of The Hobbit. we looked at a whole bunch, and it's like, okay, what happens when all of the words are the same, 1937, it's a new edition, Still nineteen thirty-seven words, but there's a new new illustrator, and there's like, I'm sorry, about seven different sets of illustrations. Would each one of those be a reboot? And then this this it just started balloon, ballooning out of control. And we said, okay, let's only pay attention to words so we can do this. But I would if if the images are considered part of the diegesis, which means it's triggered both by words and images, then a different drawing of Bilbo must refer to a different Bilbo, and therefore must refer to a different uh, world. Well,
0: maybe, no, I mean, maybe, different maybe, different <laughs> maybe. That
1: different two, right. Two people can see the same thing differently. If somebody's colorblind
0: and somebody's not colorblind, yeah. they see the same events. They just get. Different you're you're different absolutely things. right. No, you're absolutely right. So the story, part one of the answer is you're right. This is way complicated. Oh, yeah. part, part two of the answer is we wound up with this view that every reader has her own diegesis. We all speak a slightly different language it just happens to overlap so expansively that we don't notice the difference. And that's degree differences between different adaptations. They're so microscopically different, but I guess we're committed to say that they may not be identical, but so so close to being identical that for practical purposes the scale of degree is insignificant. So this index is, is, is this really dependent? Yes, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, and if you want, I can give you a whole four criterion logic showing you. you know, that's exactly what we're saying. Oh, great. great, great, great. So, um, just taking this out of Tolkien for yeah, a Yeah, minute. exactly. So if we have, for example, Jane Eyre and Mrs.
1: Rochester, those two novels, are you familiar with them? Jane Eyre, I'm not familiar with Mrs.
0: Rochester. Okay, well, it's somebody who's written a novel, telling a but... From the, the point of view of Mrs. Rocky. So like one, White
1: sort of S.O.C. okay, I'm with you. Yeah, so, you know, kind of the same story, but it's is that an
0: expansion, is that a retcon? It can be blue?
1: either. It gets tricky. And so the fact that it's by a different author yeah. isn't necessarily significant. Um, you know, retconning usually happens when a new author takes over pre-existing story elements. That's that's the um, that happens constantly in comic books where the word came from. So in that example, if the new author, almost every time the new author is gonna do some retconning. The new author new authors tend to reinterpret things, but they don't necessarily have to. It could be pure expansion both in the sequel sense of what comes next and also filling in missing details that you don't know about, but don't reinterpret the world. So that could either be an expansion or it could be a retcon, it's going to depend on individual cases.
0: So speaking of an individual case, yeah. how would the, the quest for Erebor? So that, that's Tolkien's retelling of this of the Hobbit story from the point right. of view of the dwarves. Right, so we'd we have to evaluate individual cases. What, one yeah. criterion for distinguishing, well, first I have to ask you the quest of Erebor in relation to which work? Because these are all uh, yeah. relational properties, yeah, right? Is, true, it, yeah. is it the Lord of the Rings you're asking, or is it? Hobbits, um, um, probably the Hobbit, yeah, in relation to the Hobbits. So our, our quick test is, if there's a contradiction that's not reconciled, mm-hmm then it would be a reboot because contradictions that are not reconciled, unless you're in a world that has contradictions, but I don't think Tolkien's worlds are meant to. Some things are meant just not to be explained maybe, but not flat out contradictions. So one test of a reboot is if there are contradictions that just can't be reconciled, maybe that should be counted as, they're in in different spheres, different worlds, different secondary worlds, not the same secondary world. Question about revisions, like I'm thinking about Baron and Lutkin, I mean, Tolkien had six or seven different versions of that, and some of them were published in 1954, some of them were published in, was it, 2016 or something like that, and then all of these versions have been published in the histories of Middle-earth. Where does all that
1: fit into, does it have to be published in order to be kind of like on people's radar? It's so interesting, because was bringing up the issues that we're like, we yeah. really grappled yeah. with. Yeah. So, um, because yeah, this is great. So what we decided, arbitrarily, because you just simply have to, you know, make right. lines, right. so we said, if it's published, it's a discourse, okay. if it's not published, it has not become a discourse yet. Okay, So And then that gets really weird, because you can have multiple versions of the same story, and what is your relationship to each other? Technically, they'd have to be reboots, because they cannot be forced into the same world. And yet, you see them as a group. So for a while, we were playing with the term multiverse. But that sent us down a rabbit hole. Um, Uh, So we
0: backed out of that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But we might go down that again at some point. Well, and I I would add, in in regards to Baron and Lucian, if you look at the the idea of um, the the whole corpus of the history of Middle-earth being uh, I think Tolkien's idea that he didn't quite have time to, to realize was the idea of a textual tradition, where the Book of Lost Tales would be a Manish version of that story, and the Silmarillion would be an Elvish version of that story, transmitted from um, that. And so they're all different versions of the same story, but they were all they all existed in the same universe. Yeah. And so maybe that supports the <coughs> idea that they're all reboots. But then in another sense, they're also sort of adaptations of the same story. You types. just
1: described the right, retcon. So. So that's what he did with the 1937 Hobbit. The story existed, and then he said, oh, Bilbo was lying about these details. This telling of the story, it didn't happen like that, but the telling happened. And so we can incorporate that. So that's what's happening there. It's like, oh, these are different versions of the same story. They all exist some of them may be more true than others, but they all exist in this world. So that's the way of retconning them in together, saying we don't necessarily know which ones are true, but we know the stories are all exist here. So that, yeah, that's a perfect example of retcon.
0: Yeah, and if I could add one complication that we left out here, because time is short and all that, um, in a way, The Lord of the Rings not only retcons the 1937 edition of The Hobbit, it retcons the reboot away so, when you read Lord of the Rings, the reboot disappears because yeah, both stories yeah. now appear. That's just not a complication that. Yeah. You know, so, there,
1: there had been another
0: world. Yeah, but now it turns yeah, out it's a version of this yeah, one. Like, yeah, yeah, right. They merged. Yeah. And it might even be that it's pretty common, maybe, for there to be clusters of these revisions within one another where one revision swallows another.
1: Yeah, it's extremely common in comics.
0: How would you consider a prose and a poetry version of the same story? Mm.
1: It depends. Um, so you've got a different discourse. This is interesting. So can two discourses create the same diegesis? That's another way of posing that. Yeah. It, you know, it, are both versions, two tellings, referring to the same world and the same events without any contradiction? Um, so that depends. So you can have a totally different set of words, and as long as they don't create any diegetic contradiction, you're looking at the same. Di- you're looking at the same thing
0: but if I interpret them slightly differently and I focus on different details, it's the same. Yeah. it's the same story, I just focus on different things.
1: Right, Do, but the different things you focus on, if there's no contradiction, then it's the same world and you're looking at just simply two tellings of the, of the same story world. If there's a contradiction in what you focus on, you've got two worlds and therefore
0: reboots. Translation, so yeah, actually, I think this, one, this one's straightforward. So I was, well, so far as anything is so, I was going to say, I was understanding the prose poetry model as one of translation. And it, it's like reading this, the same thing in, in Akkadian or Sumerian, right, from the, the talk earlier. Well, I know, but, right, so then, yes, yeah, so one thing is we can say everything is, is in a way of translation. And just understand as long as there's no contradiction, they can refer to the same things in different words or different forms.
1: Which is actually very, very common. So it's like if you open up a newspaper, you read the New York Times or the Washington Post, and they refer to at the same event. There are two tellings of the same event. Um, if, you'll, if you watch Fox News, there are contradictions. So maybe are <laughs> reboots. <laughs> but um, you know, the idea of two tellings of the same event is actually wildly common. It's the norm, really. True. But in the case, in the case of a newspaper, you're dealing with,
0: with a factual event that is being referred, as opposed to. Two translations of the Odyssey which you're
1: talking about. Right. But in both cases, you're dealing with or at least this is how we the whole analysis builds on the idea of there are worlds. Yeah. Ours happens to be actual, right? But there are also merely possible worlds, but they're just as much worlds as ours. We are ours is also a possible world. It's not merely possible, it's also actual. But with this idea of just thinking about worlds, yeah, we're you know, two stories or two tellings referring to the same world. No, no problem.
0: And if you want a quick example of fact, right? the second word in our title, um, we have been arguing that the normal progress of science, scientific discoveries, everyday lab work, that involves expanding our know, diogenesis, expanding our knowledge base. A scientific revolution, however, might be a retcon. It might be where you have to reinterpret things you've already discovered in light of something else.
1: So the, the, one of the examples we've been looking at is what Einstein did to Newton. Now, if you read a textbook, the textbook will tell you in so many in different words, this is merely an expansion. Einstein built on Newton, there's no contradiction. If you actually go back to Newton, there's huge contradiction. So the textbook retcons Newton into Einstein as if there's no contradiction at all. And that's and so we so these changes disappear because you know mass. Newton defined mass in a way that completely contradicts how Einstein uh, defined it. You can't actually make them work together, but everyone, common knowledge is, oh yeah, Einstein just built a Newton, it's no problem. Actually, it's a huge problem, but it's been retconned out of existence. <laughs> Thank you, everybody.